Welcome into another edition of the Lockdown Podcast. I'm George Sedano. And today, I felt like we needed to discuss and go deep dive on the number one team in the Western Conference, the Denver Nuggets. They're going to be playing the Lakers on Monday. I will be in Denver on Wednesday when they play Phoenix on ESPN television, myself, Mark Jackson, and Mark Jones. So no one better to bring on than my guy Adam Mars here of DNVR Sports. And you, listen, you and I go way back now. I feel like I, I was messaging you on Twitter years ago about yeah. the great work that you do. Then you went and started your own website and podcast, and now you're like this huge entrepreneur, and nobody covers the sport <laughs> Uh, and the team and the town better than you guys. So thank you for joining me. Well, I appreciate that very much, George. I'm excited. And the Nuggets right now, yeah, they're they're kind of uh, reaching a peak of this era of theirs. So it's it's been fun. So let's just start kind of with the way this season has unfolded for them, where at the beginning we're like, all right, well, maybe Jamal will be back. What will he look like when he comes back? Michael Porter Jr. I feel yeah. like this constant conversation we're having about his development and not only that, but his evolution and his injury history, right? So considering they're, I believe, 26 and 13, right, at the yeah. moment, number right. one seed in the Western Conference, tied with Memphis as of this taping, how would you say your feelings have changed about this team in the preseason to where we are right now? Uh, I think my feelings on the team are at an all-time high, to be honest with you. They've played some great basketball over their last 15 games, and it's really been a culmination of several things. You know, at the start of the season, Jamal Murray's just coming back. He didn't play a whole lot, even in the preseason. So when the first game rolled uh, rolled around, this the opener of the season, he was really, we're getting a look at him for the first time. And it was clear he needed some time to ramp up. Uh, Michael Porter Jr. was freshly back. Guys like Bruce Brown and Contavious Caldwell-Pope were new pieces that needed integrated. So Denver was off to a good, not great start, but good start. The defense was really bad, but the offense was really good, and there were some inconsistencies there. But over this last 15 games, it feels like Jamal Murray has gotten over a bit of a hump. That that He, he feels like he's closer to being fully back to what we remember him as two years ago. Michael Porter Jr. missed a little bit of time for a heel injury that he's been back now for 10 games. And Contavious Caldwell-Pope and Bruce Brown didn't take that much time to get fully integrated into this new system, but they're now fully integrated along with Aaron Gordon. And this entire team is just clicking in a way for the first time is clicking where everybody seems to be rounding into shape, rounding into form, and the ke chemistry is really starting to take off. So I, I don't, I, we're going to spend a lot of time, obviously, during this podcast talking about the main three guys and Jokic and Murray and Porter Jr., but I would say this, and, and I didn't have a real appreciation for Contavious Caldwell-Pope until he played mm. here in L.A. and I got to watch yeah. him every night. He does things, man, that you want exactly from your modern day NBA role player because he's pretty ignitable. He has moments yeah. where it it's going and it's going. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, And defensively, you know what you're going to get from him every yeah. single night. And what I feel like in the opportunities that I've seen you guys play and hearing Coach Malone talk about him, et cetera, it feels like he's evolved even as a leader a little bit after his time winning a championship, playing with LeBron and AD and those guys. And to me, I God, he really is. And I, this gets overused a lot, but he really is kind of the glue guy. I feel like, Oh man, I, I it, there's no question. And there's a couple of those Aaron Gordon would be another one. I think Bruce Brown, but let's start with KCP and that starting lineup. 
Michael Malone had a great comment the other day. The Nuggets over the last 10 games, I think, are sixth in defensive rating. They've been really bad for most of the year. Over the last 10 games, it's come together. And he said, Contavious walks into the, the gym the other day. They put that on the, the Jumbotron, that they've been sixth in defensive rating. And he yells out of excitement. He says, there it is. That's it. That's what we needed to become a championship team. He's like, and just kind of saying, you know, I've been there. I've seen it. That's what we were waiting for. And now we're starting to see it. So I do think that there's a lot of that. He is the guy on the team that has actually gotten it done, and a lot of people look up to him. But the thing that's so impressive about KCP, Jokic had a great quote about him the other day that said he's always in the right spot. We didn't have to teach him the playbook or anything. He just knows where to be every every time, and he never makes a mistake. And so a true veteran um, who accepts and embraces the role that he has is, and is executing that at, at a very high level. And oh, by the way, having a career year from the three-point line, as are most of the Denver Nuggets so far this season. Yeah, and look, when you look at, like, their top, I don't know, four lineups, and they're, you know, it's basically KCP, Gordon, Joker, Murray, Brown, right? Then KCP, Gordon, Joker, Murray, Porter. Right. Uh, yep. KCP, Gordon, Jokic, uh, Brown, Porter. KCP, Gordon, yep. Jokic, Brown, Brown. Yep. Uh, <laughs> which, by the way, it has taken every ounce of my body, and I know you get this all the time, to not say Braun. Yeah. But I, I, I say Brown because I had you guys early in the year and it was it was driven home. So I, I am uh, as my eyes try to trick me, my mind says, don't say Braun. Uh, but anyway, those four lineups that I just doled out there have a net rating of 9.2, 16.4, 16.6 and 21.4. And yeah. the common thread there to me is him in those lineups. Yeah, there's no question about it. I would actually say the trio of Nikola Jokic, Aaron Gordon, and KCP, those, those three guys are there for yeah. all of them. And then you're swapping out. Murray's been in and out of the lineup. Porter's been in and out of the lineup. And then Brown has been the guy that's replaced each of those guys. Um, but but basically, it's those three guys, two great defensive players who are role players that accept their role. And then Jokic, obviously, is the hub. And it works. And it works best when you put in the other two superstars on the team. Max Contracts guys and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter. And so, yes, uh, to me, that's that's what this season has really been about. We knew that Michael Porter had the scoring in him and the shooting in him. We've seen what Murray and Jokic as a two-man game uh, can do, even in the playoffs and at the highest levels. But how do you fill in around that to cover all bases, especially defensively, but also with players that don't, they're low maintenance. They don't need a lot of attention. And Aaron Gordon and KCP have been uh, perfect fits in that mold. I feel like all the home broadcasts uh, around the league will thank me for this, but I feel like some of the best television in America is the coaches post-game press conference mm. and very few top your coaches post-game yeah. press conference because in my dealings with coaches and look, I have really good relationships with a lot of these coaches because I got to interview them in game. I think for the most part, at least with me, they all have been fairly easy to work with. But your guy is incredible to work with in this regard. He gives, he doesn't hold anything back yeah. <laughs> in those interviews. He is as honest as honest comes. And sometimes I'm almost feeling like when I'm interviewing him, he's too honest. Right. So that is certainly the case. And that holds true when he's holding court with you guys as well. And the defense stuff has been so mind-boggling to him. Like, you could just sense the frustration yeah. through my television screen when I watch you guys and right. I watch his post-game press conferences. And it's weird because prior to these last 10 games, as you alluded to, 
it was like almost like a flipping of the switch kind of thing that was driving him insane. Whereas yeah. the games were tight late the games in those clutch games, like you guys were playing good defense, right. but for the rest of the game, you guys were like, eh, whatever, we'll figure That's it exactly out. Exactly. It, and, yep. and it drove him up the wall. It felt yeah. like. Well, he's a nervous guy to, to begin with. I mean, he runs hot, you know, he rides the highs and he rides the lows. So when you have a team that's hasn't strung together two defensive sequences in a row of through the first 36 minutes, you're going to be nervous. You're going to be stressed. And of course, Denver kept pulling these out because to your point, they would play good defense in the clutch and they would execute and they were doing a good job there. But finally, they've started to take it a little bit more seriously. And, and I got to tell you, George, the thing that I don't think people realize is Denver started out with training camp in San Diego, and then they were in California for a week playing the Clippers and, and Golden State. They didn't come back to Denver other than for a week or so at the end of training camp or in, end of the preseason, and then they were on the road for the first two months. They didn't yeah. have more than two consecutive home games. It was a one-game homestand, three-game road trip, two-game homestand, two-game road trip. They were constantly on the road, and over this last three, four weeks, they've been for extended home uh, homestands. They're starting to catch up now on home games and road games, and they have a bunch more coming up. And to me, I think that a large part of why the defense is starting to click They've been in their own beds. They've been at home. They haven't been in planes and traveling so much lately, and it's allowed for practice time. It's allowed for continu continuity, and it's, I think, just allowed for a little bit better focus. Um, and, and to your point, over this last 10 games or so, they've really started to round into form. And not only that, but you guys have the inherent home court advantage. The, right. the altitude. Yep. I mean, every player you talk to says yep. that they're huffing and puffing at the end of the first quarter. Yep. And you know, look, you guys, there was a couple years ago that I feel like you guys were definitely the beneficiary of coming of a ton of teams coming off back to backs, which only made that right. thing worse. So right. you have one of the, I think, most important home court advantages in the sport. I think that, for example, cities like L.A. and Miami have that, too, in different ways. Uh, right. It's about <laughs> for sure. lifestyle stuff. Um, but with you guys, it is a physical impairment at times to play there. Uh, as we've seen historically for all teams coming in there to play, whether it's you guys or any of the other teams. But um, like it, it just it, to me, the fact that you that the schedule worked out that way for you early on and you're all you're still the number one seed right. only bodes right. well moving forward. Um, but I do, again, want to make sure that if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a fan of any NBA team, don't turn off the game. OK, when it's over. Make sure you watch your coach because that's where you're going <laughs> a ton of stuff as to how they're really feeling about their teams. Like, I think most people are much more perceptive these days and can figure some of that stuff out. They've all become body language experts, and at least I love that stuff. But anyway. Um, you know what's great about him? Real quick, though, he's got so many little phrases and sayings. He's almost hokey. So, like, in a postgame, he'll he'll – He'll be, you know, honest and brutal and a little bit funny, sometimes hilarious. Yeah. And then he's yeah. always got these little turns of phrases that just uh, that he could be a great writer if he wanted to be. I, I love him. I love talking to the guy because he's just, again, as honest as honest comes uh, almost to a fault. Uh, so anyway, let, let's kind of move on to something else. So I want to talk about Nikola Jokic and this potential three time MVP, uh, consecutive MVP. Like we're, all of a sudden now you're in the most rarefied of rarefied right. areas. Right. Like two time is pretty rarefied. OK, yep. three times, three in a row. We're talking um, Bird and who is is it? Chamberlain, it, Chamberlain and Russell. Oh, Chamberlain and Russell. Right. Obviously, Bill Russell. Uh, so, yeah, you're talking about the most rarefied of rarefied air in that scenario. Um, but before we get to that, when I was there for Christmas, I learned of something that brought me great joy. <laughs> and it wasn't so much that, of course, Denver is generally beautiful during that time of year. 
it was about your team and your reigning two-time MVP and the fact that you guys celebrate something called Yokemus. And for those that have no idea what Yokemus is, please explain to them because it will also bring a smile to their face. George, I can't, I am so happy you asked about this. And I was so happy that you brought it up on the broadcast. I thought it was one of those cool little local details that I'm so glad got brought to the national audience. Back in 2016 in Jokic's sophomore season, people might not recall this, Jokic was actually coming off the bench. He started at power forward alongside Yusuf Nurkic, who was also a young up-and-coming player. And the Nuggets had to pick between them. And they originally picked Nurkic and said, okay, Jokic is going to come off the bench. And I think everybody kind of knew that wasn't the right, you know, Jokic, to me, was clearly the better player. On December 15th, 2016, the Denver Nuggets said, you know what? Jokic is our guy. We're not just going to make him the starter. We're going to run the offense through him, and we're going to have a new identity. And they immediately went on a winning streak. And not only did they go on a winning streak, but within a week's time, you knew that a new era began. So December 15th kind of has become this holiday. We call it Yokemas. This holiday of hey, this is when the Nuggets era began in earnest, when we knew we had a cornerstone piece. We didn't know he'd be an MVP, but we knew he'd be a cornerstone piece. And every year around December 15th, it seems like Jokic always turns it on. Now, is this coincidence? Maybe, (laughs) maybe not. But it always seems like the first two months of the season, good numbers. Right around then, he, he kicks it up a notch. And here's another detail. I noticed on the Christmas Day game, you you wished him a Merry Christmas, and he said it's actually not my Christmas. Correct. I did not know that he celebrates Orthodox Christmas, which That's I believe right, yep. January seventh, right? That's right. And the same way that we have Thanksgiving and Christmas as sort of a holiday season, right? A month long. The Serbians celebrate Slava, which is like their patron saint day. And for Nikola, every it's different for every family, but for Nikola, it's December nineteenth. And so I think there's actually something to this. His whole family flies in from Serbia and it's a big celebration. And I think there's this thing about he spends his time in Serbia. Everybody knows he loves being back home, loves his horses. He has great summers every time he comes to Colorado. And I think there's an adjustment period. But every year, right then around December 15th or around his Slava, he kind of picks up his energy, picks up. It's holiday season. He gets in the spirit and he starts to go into MVP mode. So, yeah, Yokemas. We celebrate it every year like clockwork. Now, how aware is he of Yokemas? <laughs> I never know how aware he is of any of these things. I've asked him, <laughs> I've asked him about these things before and he'll always pretend and he'll always tell me like, Oh, I don't know. I don't read that stuff. But you know, over the years you've learned like, Hey, that's not always true. I think, I think you're a little bit more in tune with what's going on, but you play, uh, you play dumb a little bit. So I would guess he knows. All right. So make the case for him for three time MVP or three MVPs in a row. Like if I were voting today, yeah. He would be my number one guy. And I know you were watching the broadcast. Richard Jefferson said the same thing on that particular broadcast. And I don't think anything has really changed at the moment. And I do think, unfortunately, for Kevin Durant, with him missing some time now, uh, as of this taping, he'll be out several weeks. Uh, I think that hurts his candidacy. I mean, Giannis is always going to be in that mix, right? Um, There's going to be other guys, Luca, et cetera. But I, I think he could be the guy. And and right. I know that, that may be strange to some people who don't follow the NBA closely, but I feel like anyone who follows the NBA closely is like, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Well, last year, you know, it was all the advanced metrics and the, and the impact he had when he was on the court. And then the raw numbers, you know, you just looked at the 27, 13 and, and nine that he was putting up. Well, this year he's putting up similar, similar numbers. His efficiency has gone up. He's taking fewer shots, but he's scoring the same amount of points. He's got more assists. And then the big thing last year, everybody thought, well, does it affect winning? You know, you're missing Jamal Murray. You're missing Michael Porter. They were a six seed, this or that. They said, I, if he really was this impactful, they would be the number one seed. 
Well, here you get your guys back. And guess what? You're not only the number one seed, you're the number one offense in the NBA. And you have a chance, a pretty good chance, by the way, I would say maybe a 50, 50 chance of being at least statistically the number one offense of all time. Uh, so uh, you impact winning the, uh, what happens, you look at who's having a career year, this Aaron Gordon's having a career year. Bruce Brown is having a career year. KCP is having a career year. Pretty much all the new guys that come into Denver are start all automatically become the best versions of themselves. And this is something we've seen year after year. So he's just been absolutely um, dominant. And I always say, George, people think of MVP as, are you dominant as a one-on-one player? And I think with basketball is not one-on-one, but one-on-one is obviously very important. With Nikola, I think he's the best two-on-two player in the NBA. He has an incredible two-man game with Jamal Murray. He has an incredible two-man game with Aaron Gordon. KCP's new here. He's got an incredible two-man game with KCP. Bruce Brown, they run pick and rolls with Bruce Brown setting the screen, or as the ball handler, it doesn't matter. You can go back and forth. So everybody on the roster has this synergy with him, and they all have different skill sets, and he just blends to their skill set. And I think that's the way you have to look at him and the impact he has on a team and the impact he has on a game. Oh, I don't think there's any question about it. I mean, he is a point center. <laughs> like yeah. it's insane. It's like, you know, it's funny because, you know, you watched you watched some of this old tape of, of Shaq when, you know, in his younger days. And, right. you know, he wasn't doing it like Nicola, but right. he loved to get on the break. Like I used yeah. to always joke with Shaq, like, you know, every big man like you wants to be a point guard deep down right. inside. And he'd kind of laugh. Um, and here now we have that, right? In Nikola yeah. Jokic. Uh, being that guy, he is the best passing big man I've ever laid my eyes on. Like yeah. it's, and it's not even close in my estimation. I know maybe some of the old schoolers will say Arvita Sabonis or whatever, but like to me, it's Nicola. And the funny thing about that, I just kind of mentioned Shaq was, I feel like voters now are getting this right where maybe they didn't get it right with Shaq where they're rewarding big men in a way where we kind of went away from it, right? Like, right. oh, it's too obvious to vote for Shaq, right? Or whatever. Right, right. And the numbers were always there for Shaq. Right. Yep. And it felt like we didn't, We it, to me, it's a little bit of a disservice that he only got one MVP in his time there. And right. again, for sure, not a shot at Steve Nash, right. uh, who won it uh, his, my, in Shaq's first year in Miami, where he was also incredible, uh, you know, after the Laker days. But I, I feel like that was just kind of like a miss a missed opportunity for us in the NBA community. And we're making good on that, or we've made good on that with Jokic. But the three times, man, I, I know I, it's funny, like the argument against it. And I heard you talk about this with Zach Lowe on his podcast a couple of weeks ago is, well, we just can't give it to him three times in a row. That is right, a right. good <laughs> argument. I right. Like, I'm with Zach on this. Like, you've got to come up with something better. Like, you got to tell me Giannis is better or whoever is better to give them that award, not just because you can't give it to a dude three times in a row. I think the thing that's interesting about this conversation is, and maybe this is the job of the media that we have failed at, is we try to write guys' legacies before they happen. And I know a lot of people are saying, if you win three MVPs, you should be a top 10 player of all time. Those three guys you mentioned are, are widely considered top 10, top 12 players all time. And the thing is, we don't know what Nicola is going to be. And I think you can only ever you know, vote on these things as they happen, meaning is it weird to say unprecedented? He's never made a finals. How could he be a three-time MVP? It would be unprecedented for a three-time MVP to, to have the playoff success that he's had to date. 
but we don't know what's ahead of him. And I think there's just as good a chance that we'll look back at the, in, in a few years and say, oh man, how did we not vote him for a three-time MVP? You never know what a guy's legacy is. You can only live in the moment and judge things by how they're happening. And I'll, and I'll be honest, I, you mentioned Kevin Durant earlier. He's been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Luka Doncic has been incredible. Those three guys to me have been at the top, but you know, there's a lot of good players and there's a lot of NBA left. So I think the door's open. But to me, let's not try to write the legacy before it happens. Just just judge it as it goes. And you talked about how he elevates players. And, you know, I got to cover Shaq and LeBron um, for long stretches of time. And I think that that to me was as great as their numbers were and their impact individually. That to me, when they were at the peak of their powers, that's the thing. LeBron right. dragged a bunch. I mean, that 2018 right. team. I mean, yep. everyone talks about 2007. Yes, no, right. no doubt. But that 2018 Cavs yep. team had no business being in the NBA Finals when you looked at that roster, okay? And the same with, you know, Shaq obviously played on some great teams. He had some great, um, you know, co-stars in Kobe right. Bryant when he was young and, and Dwayne Wade when he was young. Right. But Shaq, I remember Shaq made a lot of guys better, whether it was the Lakers role players and Fisher and Ori and, 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 right. uh, and Rick Fox. And I remember specifically when he came to Miami that first year that I just referenced where I thought he should have won over Steve Nash. Damon Jones led the league in three-point <laughs> makes that year. Yeah. And Damon Jones got a fat contract to right. play with Cleveland right. off of Shaq. And then the year after that, Jason Capono was near the top of the league right. in three-point makes because he played with Shaq. Shaq right. had that kind of gravity to him. Yep. You had to collapse on him. And it just left guys open and he made all those guys better. Um, you know, throughout his career, whether it was in L.A. or Miami, particularly, obviously, during his prime in those eras and Orlando, obviously, as well. Right. But Nicola has that same thing. Uh, all right. Let's move on real quick, because I, I, I don't want to take too much of your time. But let's start. Let, let's you mentioned Aaron Gordon earlier when we were talking defense. I will get to Jamal and I want to get to Porter after that. But Aaron Gordon, I didn't know what the fit was going to be like when he first mm -hmm. got there. And yeah. I thought, okay, well, you know, certainly he can rebound at a really high level, particularly on the offensive glass. And he's a great putback guy. He's great at the pick and roll. So I feel like he'll fit, but I don't know how janky it will be from a spacing perspective with him on the floor. And after watching it last year and certainly this year, there are no doubts that he is an incredible fit on that roster. I mean, he's just bought in. And I really think that he's a winning player. And that's not a label that I think was with him for most of his career. When you're in Orlando, people are asking, is this a guy that plays winning basketball? When he came to Denver, one of the fears you have whenever you bring a high draft pick in who's been a number one option is, are they okay being the fourth option? Are they okay being the fifth option? And Aaron Gordon has never had an issue with this. In fact, if you look at his efficiency, I keep using this word, but that's the story of the Nuggets. If you look at his efficiency, it's shot selection. He knows what shots are his and what shots aren't. He knows where to find them, and he accepts that, and he excels at that role. And if you look at this year, he has 100 dunks on the season, which is the third most he's ever had in a season, trailing last year where he had 130. And then one year in Orlando, he had 104. So he's in, within a game or two is going to pass and become the second most dunks he's ever had in a career because he knows on this team you're going to generate a lot of switches so you're going to be playing against a lot of guys smaller than you and your shots are going to come at the rim powering through guys and he's gotten better and better at using that athleticism using that strength inside and right now he's just dunking on everybody he's been a great fit with Nicola they have a great four or five pick and roll that they run two or three times a game that always generates some kind of look whether it's a layup or a dunk or a foul they get something great out of it every almost every single time uh, they run it. And then defensively, you know, he's been a guy that has been a sort of um, 
catch-all for them. Last year, he was guarding the best player, whether that was a guard or a big. This year, he gets to stay inside, rebound, protect the paint, be a little bit more inside. And I think the last layer for him is to become a little bit better of a help side defensive player because when he is a great rim protector covering for Nicola behind him and at the rim, that's when Denver's defense goes up a whole other level. He does it in, in, in spurts, but I think that that's the last piece for him is if he can get to that level, not quite a Draymond level, but playing that same role where you're just covering for everybody, that's when I think Denver gets over the hump and becomes the the number one team. I, he's not, This isn't a perfect comp, um, but he reminds me of a – slightly different version of Sean Marion when mm, he was I like it. with yeah. the Phoenix Suns. Like to me that I, I think Sean, I'd have to look back at the numbers, but I feel like Sean was a more proficient three point shooter uh, mm. with the strange shot that he had right. back in yeah. those days. Um, uh, maybe even a little better um, to your point in regards to just being able to defend in all different facets of the yeah. defense. Right. But you know, incredible athleticism um, can finish around anything basically you know what i mean like and and i just think that their 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 speed their agility like to me he he, he kind of sort of reminds me of marion just a little bit um, i think you have to look at matchups too and think zion williamson's out there nobody can guard him right. aaron gordon comes close though he's strong yeah. he's one of the few guys that's actually not as strong but strong enough to, to at least make him work luka Doncic, same thing he's so yeah. big and mobile aaron gordon's there Kawhi leonard and paul george lebron james there's some big wings in the West that Denver's going to have to go through, and Aaron Gordon's going to take center stage in those matchups. No doubt about it. And we'll get to some of those potential matchups here in a moment, but let's talk about Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., obviously both coming off injuries. Uh, how have they come along in your estimation? Where do you still feel like they're not their old selves than, uh, still yet at this point? Um, let's start with Michael Porter. Cause I think he's the easiest one. Um, his three point shot has been incredible. It, that has picked up right where it left off. I think he's a career 42% three point shooter. He's shooting, I think 41 and a half percent off the top of my head. I think it's somewhere around there on the season. So right in line with his career averages and he's getting them at, at good volume. I think his shot profile has changed. He's been more of a spot up three point shooter than, than in years past where he has not been you know, where I think he is still in it, trying to improve and we'll see if he gets there is just with some of his athleticism. He was a guy, I mentioned Aaron Gordon's 100 dunks. Michael Porter was a guy that dunked a lot because he's six foot 10, six foot 11, and he was light. He's just very light on his feet. He gets up quickly. Um, even though he doesn't have great dribble moves, he just beats guys with lengths the way Giannis does. He's just so long. This year, I think he's got like 10 or 11 dunks total. That pop has not been there. The getting to the lane, the rebounding hasn't quite been there. And he had a heel injury earlier this year um, that even slowed down, I think, some of the little progress he was making. And to me, that's going to be the biggest thing. You'll see it on the defensive end. You'll see it as a, a weak side rim protector, and you'll see it as a rebounder, where right now I think he's clearly below the marks he had set for himself previously in his career. And we'll see if he gets back to that his old self in that way. And then with Jamal? With Jamal, I think, and he's starting to round into form, it's very clear that the chemistry with Nikola Jokic has been there. A lot of the footwork that he had before, I mean, I don't think people, you, you'll get a, you'll laugh at this comp. I think he is closer because people think Jamal Murray, he's like Steph Curry. He's a point guard. He shoots threes. I think he has more Kobe in his game than, than Steph Curry. And what I mean is he is a guy that he doesn't take as many threes as you would think. But also, he's just a great footwork player. He's great in the post. He's great from the elbows. And he's great with not beating you because he blew past you, but because he just used the right footwork to get around you in a really crafty way. And that has been back. The part that has been slow to return for him has been the speed. 
and the, just the explosiveness, the quickness. And I think a lot of that has to do with the speed of the game and, and conditioning. But I think a lot of that is just his his weight and, and being in playoff shape. When we saw him in the bubble and when we saw him right before he tore his ACL two years ago, he was in elite shape. He was just quicker than a lot of the guys he was playing. And he was making Steven Adams fall down in isolation. And he was dunking over players at the rim. I think he's starting to get some of that quickness back. And to me, that's going to be when he really takes off and goes to the next level. And we've seen it over these last this winning streak that Denver's on. Jamal Murray has played a really big part in that. Yeah, he's looked a lot better, certainly, as time has gone on. And it's funny about the footwork, because if you and you know this because you'll get to the arena early. If you watch him work out, he's working on that footwork yep. a ton before games. Like he's out there several hours before games. He's got the guys out there kind of helping him rebound the balls, and he is working on his footwork, taking shots from different parts of the floor um, in different he, – he's almost trying to simulate different circumstances. I'm not going to compare him to Ray Allen, who did, like, insane right. work, you know, five right. and six hours right. before, or Kobe yet. Um, but he does have similar, um, you know, pregame workout regimens in that regard, where he tries to put himself in different circumstances and kind of create – uh, or recreate potential circumstances that would happen on the floor. Yeah. And some guys just have like some guys practice footwork and it never looks pretty. And then yeah. some players have it. And it's just like, it's like ballet to them. Jamal's one of those guys. And that's why I was comparing him to Kobe is I not an, obviously Kobe is a, no, a different no, caliber player, but just in terms of he yeah. works on the footwork and it looks smooth the way he does it. Yeah. It just looks so natural. And he has a million different counters that just come to him naturally. Yeah. No question about it. All right. Last question for you. And thank you for your time. The Denver Nuggets have never been the one seed at the end of the season, okay? Mm. Not since the ABA days. You have to go back to the ABA right. since they've been in the NBA. How does that happen, them being the one seed? How is How important is it for them to be the one seed? And what what is their ceiling at this point? Well, I'll answer the second question first. How important is it? It's kind of funny. You, you look at the standings and you think, okay, great, you're the one seed. Let's take a look down at the, the the back half of the standings. Well, you got the Golden State Warriors. You got the Lakers have won five straight. You've got the Phoenix Suns who are missing some guys, but they were the number one seed last year. How important is it to get the one seed? It might be a curse this year if you have to go up against Golden State or Phoenix or, or the Lakers if those teams get going. So I don't know that it's necessarily important. The other teams they're going to be competing with, in my opinion, are going to be Dallas and and. New Orleans and Memphis. And those are all teams that it would be their first time being the one seed in this circumstance as well. Um, so I don't know how important it is. I do think you want to get a top two or three seed. Uh, and then, you know, will they be it or what is it going to take? It's going to take the defense. I think the offense for them comes naturally. Michael Malone yesterday at practice joked that they don't really ever work on offense. They just, they know what they're doing and they have enough talented players that they don't work on it. It's just, can you defend? And when you defend at that top 10 defensive level, you go on these big win streaks like the what like what they have been going on. If you don't, then you're always going to be a little up and down, drop some games you shouldn't, win some you shouldn't, but drop some you shouldn't. And I think if Denver can find some consistency and connectivity would be the word I would say defensively, because they don't have enough individual de defensive talent to do it easy. They have to do it collectively. If they find that, then to me, that's going to be the key to them racing out and getting that number one seed. Okay. And what's the ceiling? Can they win the championship? 
There's no there, give me the hot take, yeah. Adam. I'll give you the hot take. There's no doubt in my mind. I mean, I've seen enough of what I needed to see. I mean, we saw this a couple of years ago when Aaron Gordon came over. It was a brief stint. You saw them roll the Clippers, a fully healthy Clippers team. You've seen them over this last couple of weeks. They beat the Clippers by 50 points, or at least or 45 points at one point last week. Uh, they were up 40 points. They beat Memphis. They've beaten uh, a lot of the good teams in the league over this last stretch. To me, I've seen it. They can defend at a high level when they need to. Nobody has stopped them. Go back to last year. No Jamal Murray, no Michael Porter. They're going up against the Golden State Warriors, who are the number one defense in the NBA. They put up a 118 offensive rating against them. They didn't lose because they couldn't score on the best defense. They scored on the best defense better than anybody did. They needed to get stops. I think this year they've added the talent, and they're starting to show the connectivity that they're going to score on anybody. You're not going to solve them on offense. Can they just solve you a little bit? to make it manageable, and I've seen enough this year to say that they can. Whether they do it or not, there's a bunch of teams that are in their tier, or a handful of teams that are in their tier, but there's no doubt in my mind that they have the talent and, and the the co- collection of players to get it done. Where are they as a team right now on, on defensive rating? <laughs> 23rd, I think, something like that. I mean, they stay, they were 28th until three weeks ago. Right, right, I mean, right. It really wasn't until very recently that they've kind of turned it on. Yeah, well, you'd have to go back to the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. I think it was 2001 where they, there was a team in the 20s defensively yeah. that yeah. Uh, won the championship. But look, it's been done. Uh, it hasn't been done a ton. But to your point, their <laughs> offense is so good that yeah. if, if they can just get any modicum of defense, then then they can be in a really good position to potentially win this. I, look, I don't know about you, but I think this is the most wide open the league has been. I know everyone talks That's about part of it, it. Yeah, but if you really look at it, if – you know, there's easily five or six teams in each conference that I can be like, yeah, they can win, whatever. Sure, no problem. And and George, who's really defending right now? That's the other thing Nobody. is there's years where there's good def- – you know, if you're the number one defense versus the number 23, you see a real defense. Right now, the number one defenses are giving up 130, 140 yeah. somewhat regularly. So this is a weird year. I don't think we fully figured out why this season has been so strange. We might be in a new paradigm but uh, I've seen enough of the Denver in the clutch and against good teams to say they can defend at a high level when they need to. We'll see if they can get consistent at it. I said this at the beginning of the season. The NBA is closer to more parity than it's ever been. Um, even the bad teams have a guy or two that can snatch a game from you any given yep. night. And I think that much like a lot of sports have, they've changed the rules so much to benefit offense that yep. it's really hard to defend in the yep. NBA. I had this conversation with an with a champion NBA coach recently about like you've got to throw everything at them. Actually, you know what? I can just say it because we talked about this on the broadcast. I had the Heat recently, both against the Lakers and the Suns, and we asked Spo why he's playing so much zone, and he's like, "Man, you just got to try to figure this stuff out. It's really just used as like a change of pace. Yes, we right. use it more than everyone else, but it's really hard to defend in this league right yeah. now because the athletes are so much better, the skill is so much better." And and then the rule he didn't mention the rules, but I'll throw that in. The rules have certainly been in play. And the shooting. I mean, I think to me this the big thing is the shooting. I mean, we yeah, rewind yeah. 10 years ago and talk about Steph Curry taking off the dribble threes. And it was, oh, nobody's ever done this before, and off the dribble three. And nobody's ever done it the level Steph has. Ten years later, he's still the only guy. But look at what Donovan Mitchell is doing. Yeah. Look at you look at half the Darius Garland. You got two guys on one team that you can't leave them off the dribble from the three-point line. Yeah. Denver's got five or six guys that are that way. It's just the league has learned that shot was inconceivable 10 years ago. Guys have practiced it for a decade now. And I think more players are good at off the dribble three-point shooting than we thought was possible a decade ago. No question about it. Check him out. DNVR Sports. Uh 
Plug everything you got. Plug That's it. it. That's it, man. DNVR. We, we cover the Nuggets in a really unique way. And if you're in town, including you, George, you can come down to the DNVR bar, which is the only official Denver Nuggets bar in all of Denver. Awesome stuff, man. Always a pleasure. Thank you for making time for me in this podcast. Thanks, George. See ya. All right. Thanks to Adam Myers there of DNVR. They do a great job covering the Denver Nuggets. Hopefully you learned something there about the number one seed in the Western Conference. We will talk to you again soon on the Lockdown Podcast. See you.